Thank you for joining the QI Chat Room podcast. I am your host, Max Perret. This podcast is sponsored by the Redwood Community Health Coalition, an association of community health centers across six counties in Northern California. We seek to bring you relevant topics from the health sector with a focus on sharing best practices and new information related to quality improvement at community health centers. We've been hosting these podcasts since the fall of 2019, and we hope you join us as we share the latest in health topics. All right, let's get started. Thanks everyone for joining. Uh, my name is Max Perret. Um, I am your host of the QI Chatroom podcast, and today I am very happy to be co-hosting uh, with Arlene Pena, who is uh, at RCHC and is our lead for quality improvement or QI in healthcare. And the QI chat room uh, started in 2018. We turned it into a podcast in 2019. Uh, and we have been doing these one or two times per month uh, since then. And I encourage everyone to go onto our website, rchc.net, or onto Spotify and search the QI chat room podcast and, and listen to some of the uh, episodes we've had over the years. We've had some really great guests and speakers and interesting topics um, predating me, but uh, definitely uh, in the last year as well. And so uh, I've had fun kind of going back uh, into my year of taking over this podcast, uh, working uh, in collaboration with our QA team. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Arlene, who's going to introduce our guest today and looking forward to a really great dialogue. Arlene? Wonderful. Thank you, Max. Um, so today's episode features a street medicine and mobile medicine conversation with our panel from Communicare Health Centers in Yolo County, Ritter Center in Marin County, and Kaiser Permanente Vallejo Medical Center in Solano County. So for a little bit of background, um, according to the California Healthcare Foundation, 70% of approximately 150,000 people experiencing homelessness in California are living unsheltered. A study in JAMA Internal Medicine found the mortality rate of unsheltered adults was almost three times that of adults primarily sleeping in shelters and nearly 10 times that of the overall adult population with common causes of death, including cancer and heart disease. In addition, People experiencing street-based homelessness are hospitalized and readmitted at higher rates and experience trauma and exposures at higher rates than sheltered people experiencing homelessness. According to the Street Medicine Institute, street medicine is the provision of health care directly to those living and sleeping on the streets through mobile services such as walking teams, medical vans, and outdoor clinics. To help stimulate the spread and scale of these programs, it's necessary to understand their characteristics, the policies and funding mechanisms that would help support and sustain them. So join me in welcoming our panelists. From Communicare Mobile Medicine team, Dr. Ian Kim is a family physician. He splits his time between the UC Davis Community Clinic, the Communicare Mobile Medicine team, and teaching primary care at the UC Davis Medical School. He completed medical school and residency at UC Davis. He holds an MBA from the Yale School of Management. Prior to medical school, he worked for more than a decade in community-based advocacy for economic justice and racial equity. Dr. Suzanne Portnoy is a nationally certified 
family nurse practitioner with a doctorate from Oregon Health and Science University. She has been in practice since 2012. For the last year, she has been the Associate Director for the Communicare Mobile Medicine Team. Thank you for joining us today. From Ritter Center Street Medicine Team, Rochelle Valenzuela is Ritter Center's Clinic Manager. She has almost 20 years of experience in the medical field, working in a wide variety of specialties such as primary care, orthopedic surgery, pain management, cancer hematology, imaging, women's health, and psychiatry. She is a drug and alcohol counselor at another facility, and it is one of her absolute passions. Working to help the demographics that may uh, feel judged, not heard, and forgotten is what she has dedicated her life to. She's always wanted to be a part of the change and to provide services to people that may otherwise not have been given a chance to receive services if she wasn't involved. Alec Bradbury is a family nurse practitioner at Ritter Center in San Rafael, where he splits his time between treating patients on the street medicine van and in the clinic. He attended college at UC Davis and received his Bachelor of Science in Neurobiology, Physiology, and Behavior. He later attended Vanderbilt University's nursing school in Nashville, Tennessee, graduating with an MSN in family practice. He has a background in physical therapy and has been working as a registered nurse in various settings over the past year, while also completing FNP student clinical stints in internal medicine and FQHC family health clinics. Thank you for joining us. From Kaiser Permanente Medicine Care Without Walls, Dr. Emily Fisher is a community family medicine physician in Vallejo, California. After her family medicine residency at Kaiser Napa Solano, she completed the Kaiser Vallejo Community Medicine and Global Health Fellowship. As her capstone project, she created the street medicine team, Vallejo Mobile Health, to bring free medical care to people experiencing homelessness in her community. Now, she is teaching faculty at the Kaiser Napa Solano Family Medicine Residency and continues to act as the medical director for Vallejo Mobile Health in her nonprofit work. At Kaiser, she is heading the pilot Care Without Walls, which seeks to support the wellness and stability of Kaiser patients experiencing homelessness. Just so impressed with our panel today. Thank you all for joining us. So to get us started, I would like to ask if you can please provide an overview of your program, you know, to include maybe like your model of care and who is your care team in these programs that you're leading and maybe what services you provide. Mina Care, would you like to get us started? Yes, thank you. And thank you for having us here. And we're excited to hear from the other panelists also. Um, about their their projects, their work. We have a contract, um, Communicare has a contract with the County Health and Human Services and um, Dignity and Sutter Health to provide uh, care to people in Yolo County who are unhoused. We are, Our team originally started at the beginning of the pandemic, but this new contract started in October of last year. We go out every week. We see people in both urban and rural settings and um, in a variety of different venues, including Walmart parking lots, shelter, and Project Home Key that still exists in West Sacramento. Our care team is a provider, a nurse, a medical assistant, a peer advocate, and then we also have operations support. And more recently, a case manager has started coming out with us, diabetes educator, health coaches, and we also have learners out with our team most of the time. And we provide both uh, medical and behavioral health services. And Ian, let me know what I forgot. You got it. I have nothing to add. That's, yeah, thank you. 
Wonderful. Thank you for that great overview. Um, Ritter Center, would you like to go next? Sure. Yeah. So Ritter Center, we're based in San Rafael. Um, we provide pretty holistic care to um, our population. We provide a lot of medical services as well as we have a whole behavioral health team as well. Um, substance use counselors, therapists, you know, whole, a psych PA. On top of that, um, we do offer case management services. And then we have a wonderful staff dedicated to helping people become insured. A lot of our patients come in, they don't have insurance, they don't know how the, the process works. So we help to expedite that process and get them insured so that they can receive the care that they need. We have a, a pretty comprehensive team, including even a pantry to provide food for the, the patients. Um, so when we go out on the van, typically it'll be myself, you know, a nurse practitioner, another MA, and then someone from the county as well to help direct them to um, county-specific resources, and we'll bring out certain goodies and foods and whatnot to try to bring as much of the Ritter experience to the streets itself. Um, and if we can't fully do that, we need them to come back to the clinic. We'll usually provide bus passes for them to do that. Um, yeah, we'll go anywhere from local parks to tennis courts, where wherever the encampments are, where, wherever the need is under the freeway, and to transition housing areas where they might not have as great access to clinical care. And I don't know if I missed anything, Rochelle. No, I think you covered it perfectly, Alex. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you. Dr. Fisher, you want to take it away? Sure. At Kaiser, I've been working on this pilot called Care Without Walls. So we're just getting started. We're only you know, within our first year. It's basically based around assigning each patient with a PCP and a social worker who will then go directly out to where people are, just like what others have been saying here. So we'll see people, you know, in their tents. Some are more kind of in the unstably housed category. So if they're in board and care homes or, or shelters, or um, a lot of our initial cohort actually came out of the folks that were housed at the Project Room Key here in Vallejo. Right now, we're just a small team. It's a PCP, which is myself, and then our, our two social workers. And we try to connect them with as many resources as possible. Um, so obviously, housing is one of the top priorities, um, but then also making sure people are getting their their food and their income and transportation benefits. We're working on adding mental health as a component to the program, though that will be probably a little far off. I keep piece of our model is um, actually kind of dependent on my other hat as a um, leading our not a nonprofit street outreach team. So that program has weekly outreach events in coordination with other local nonprofits. Uh, so we provide free medical care at locations throughout the city and we'll have mobile showers, mobile haircuts usually at those events. Um, and we'll also, we'll go out to curbside communities where we know there's patients that need to, to follow up. And just like what others have said, there's a theme, you know, trying to provide as much care as possible on site when you have the person in front of you. And then through that work, if we identify patients who have Kaiser insurance, then we kind of roll them into the Kaiser Care Without Walls program and continue to support them in that way. Great. Thank you for sharing. Um, Max, do you want to take the next question? Sure. Um... Thank you all for, for sharing. Next question is about how do you perform your medicine? Um, is it on the street? Is it in organized meeting places? I know we got a little bit into, into this in terms of the kind of the tennis courts and the parks and under the freeway, but I was curious about kind of where there might be some 
collaborations, right, in terms of the community? Who do you collaborate with? Is it, you know, churches? Is it community groups? Um, other other medical uh, providers? Just a little bit more in, in depth on that. Maybe we can start with uh, Alec, with Ritter. Yeah, I mean, who who don't we communicate with? I think Rochelle sends out a, a blister email every week to about 100 partners, so she could touch on this a little bit more, but um, we're, we're in contact with um, the county, for sure, all of the, the local organizations. So like I said, the transition housing places, we're in contact with the, the staff there as well, and pretty much all the community partners that we can partner with. Again, Rochelle can touch on this a little bit more. She's the one that's constantly sending out emails and trying to get people scheduled to, you know, to work with our schedule so that we can go out and treat as many people as we can. So, Rochelle, you want to touch on that? Yeah. So, um, as far as people that we work with in the field, we have partnered with the SPAR Center, um, so the Harm Reduction Center. We We try really hard to align our schedules with them. Um, we send, obviously, our schedule out to them on a monthly basis, and then they'll try their hardest to show up to the various places, um, especially the encampments um, that we are at. Um, we also have partnered with the County Infectious Disease Department. So as Alec had mentioned, um, whenever their schedule will permit, someone from the county comes out with us, and they educate for Hep C and HIV testing we do provide rapid HIV and uh, Hep C testing. As far as locations that we contract with, um, some of the encampments are in the process of closing. So we've been working on trying to establish a base um, in West Marin because it's kind of like an untouched area. We've also worked with Coastal Health Alliance, which is another FQHC um, that is working to get their own street team, I think, eventually off the ground. But for now, we're providing services in that demographic. Senior centers, some community centers we've been reaching out to, um, like uh, Alec had mentioned, parks. Um, I know that the Catholic Charities give out food um, at Albert Park, which is what we just recently added on. So um, they try to um, make sure that they're there, or we try to align with them so that we can reach more people. And I think they covered about everybody that we, uh, that we partner with. But we're always looking for more partnerships, um, that's for sure. That's why he said I have a large uh, network that I'm trying to constantly continue to grow because um, if there's a place where there's need and we're contacted, we try to get there. Great. And in terms of connection with the local uh, hospital systems, are you guys connected uh, with the local hospital systems in the emergency room? Um, how, how is that, that collaboration and partnership? Yeah, so the goal for us, right, is to try to alleviate unnecessary emergency room visits if if we can at all. Um, and Alec tries his best to kind of triage that while he's out in the field. Um, but if we do need to send to the ER and or just, you know, feel that it's appropriate to do so, we work with Murrah in general. Alec, right. if there's anything you want to add, you can. <laughs> no, I think you touched on it very well, Rochelle. Okay. And Dr. Fisher, if, if, if you want to come into the conversation and, and share a little bit kind of from the, from the Kaiser side, like how do you collaborate and partner with community-based organizations and, and FQHCs? Yeah, so that, that's where I think my kind of unique position of sitting on kind of on both sides of the fence a little bit um, because a lot of what facilitated 
uh, the Kaiser pilot was actually the work that I had already been doing with our nonprofit street outreach team, because that's been functioning for several years. We've been able to establish um, some pretty robust relationships in the community. Um, and like I said, that's how we kind of identified our first cohort of patients, because it's if you start just from the Kaiser side, it's really hard to identify who the patients are who are experiencing homelessness or who, or who are unsafely housed. And so our first group really came because of this uh, presence that, you know, we had in the kind of nonprofit street outreach space. So through that, we work with two other uh, nonprofits in the community, Valio Together and One Love Center for Health, to provide like the the street medicine and the, and the outreach events. Uh, we're working with another organization called the SOS Options Program that provides um, substance abuse treatment and helps place people into sober living environments. And then through them, they've developed partnerships with the uh, coordinated entry system with Resource Connect Solano and Caminar and our community. Um, certainly working on getting more robust relationships with the county. Uh, and the county homelessness teams. They have been very supportive in getting us vaccines um, and vac- and COVID testing. So we've been able to do that at our events. And then, like I said, we kind of filter the, the patients who we find that do have Kaiser coverage. Then I kind of become Dr. Fisher, the Kaiser doctor. And essentially, I become their primary care physician. And, you know, one of the, the nice things about Kaiser is that there is a lot of resources just within the Kaiser bubble. And so once I'm able to get patients kind of into that sphere, then a lot of other, at least medical resources do open up. And I think just like everyone else, you know, we definitely have an eye on that ER utilization, which is still a work in progress. You know, a lot of these patients obviously are going to the the Kaiser emergency room, but I'm doing as much as possible, obviously, to divert that. Dr. Portnoy or Dr. Kim, would you like to take this one too? I think that you do a lot of great work with the emergency rooms as well. And and just from our previous conversations, it'd be great if you could share how you work with the emergency rooms. In terms of working with the emergency room, I mean, a lot of what the other teams are doing, we're doing. Um, I'll just say really quickly in terms of working with the emergency room, we have a, we set up a warm line that rings to my phone and to Dr. Kim's phone and to the nurse. So if a discharge planner is sees one of our patients or sees anybody who's unhoused, they can pick up the phone and call us and say, hey, we're sending this guy out. He's got cellulitis. He needs antibiotics. Make sure he picks them up and takes them. And we'll do the best we can to make that happen. And we also try to, you know, build that trust and bridge back into primary care by having drop-in clinics for people that we see, mobile medicine patients. So they're kind of fast-tracked without payment into seeing uh, seeing me usually, a couple of our clinics. And I'm going to hand it back to Ian. Just listening to the responses from the other teams here, it's it's so clear how much street medicine is so local and knowledge of local organizations and connections with them is really what makes the work possible because we can't be everywhere at once. We can't know what the needs are out in the field. It's really community partners that are able to identify who needs to be seen and when um, so often. Uh, So really, I mean, we are, we're just part of a network that I think is the way we see it. And I suspect this is true in other locales too, but the way that Project Room Key at the beginning of the pandemic opened up these opportunities to do house visits with people who have experienced homelessness. I, like that's remarkable to me. I think also in Yolo, at least in Yolo County gave birth to some new partnerships and relationships amongst service providers that have 
continued even as Project Green Key has wound down. And that's been really, really powerful. So Communicare's connection with the county is, at least for our team, is much stronger and more personal than it was before. The local community organizations that provide case management and support on the ground, we know them much better. You know, so it's it's like a super team that has arisen in the last couple of years and continues to grow. I mean, the the as you've heard from the other groups here, the the list can just go on. There's, you know, St. Vincent de Paul, Davis Community Meals, Empower YOLO, YOLO County Children's Alliance, Stake. Um, we, we go to where people are, right? So the Fourth and Hope Shelter, the County Shelter in Woodland, the Davis Respite Center, those are, those are both partners. And then as um, Suzanne Portnoy was saying, uh, we do try to connect with the hospitals as much as we can as well, because that is part of our charge. That's really great. Thank you all for sharing. I mean, you're doing such important work. And, and you know, one thing I'm thinking about, you know, I know Beth Paul is on the line. Something we've been curious about is, you know, when, when you um, reach a patient that is in mental crisis or is having some sort of crisis, are you in connection with like an in response team that uh, then comes and supports with behavioral health services or um, what are kind of your support systems in place either currently or something you maybe you're thinking about to kind of build out in the future for patients who who you reach through your program that are in current crisis? I can take it first. Yeah, so we're in connection with the mobile crisis unit out here. So whether we're at Ritter or out in the street, we can call on county support they have a whole team of behavioral health specialists who will come out and um, help patients that are that are in need or having a crisis. Um, they also have a location, too, if they're more stable that we can send them to. But if we're out on the mobile van and someone really is having a crisis, we can just call the mobile crisis unit to come and help us out. Obviously, we'll do everything we can on our part to calm the patient down, sit with them, hear their story, which is oftentimes important with anybody in this population. They're a key partner with us. So does that involve also, Alec, um, referring them to services or if they're uninsured, connecting them with an enrollment counselor? Like how is that How is that triage? Yeah, absolutely. So Ritter has an enrollment person who, I mean, she's been with us for like 10 years now. And so she just knows, knows everybody. Um, and so we'll oftentimes you know, direct them to her. She'll even a couple of times drive out herself from Ritter to meet us out there to get people enrolled or just, you know, we'll call her. She'll just say, collect this information and she'll work to get them enrolled within, you know, usually the day, right? At least to get that process started. So she is fantastic and, you know, I don't know where we'd be without her. Um, And then, like I said, we have a behavioral health team too. So if we need to put in a referral to our, our psych PA for more medication management, we can do that. Or we have multiple therapists, either in person or, or online, um, that can also connect with them. And sometimes on an, an urgent basis, too, if they have a little, little bit of space in their schedule, we'll just kind of slip them in the day of, if possible, or as, as soon as we can. Just to add to Alec, we also have safety net as well. So we do offer uh, rehab services. That is, it's IOP, and it's currently, for the most part, on telehealth. Um, as they are ramping services back up, we just hired two new uh, drug counselors. We're going to be working to providing services in person as well again. It's really great. Thank you. I think at Communicare, our answer would be pretty similar. Um, I think that we are really dependent on the services and that are available you know, from hospitals in uh, the county and to some extent the police. And it also, I think, varies from city to city. So what's available in Woodland or West Sacramento, for instance, is different from what's available in Davis. 
so we really try to, to connect with the, the appropriate service. One thing I'll say is we're, we try to be especially mindful of whether police presence will be helpful or not. Often it's not helpful or it can spook someone or there can be some bad history there that can make things actually worse and not better. Um, on the other hand, for example, in the city of Davis, there is a crisis response team that's part of the police department. They have a trained uh, clinician who comes out and knows very well how to de-escalate and how to get someone to the local hospital in a way that I, th I think can be very helpful. You know, so that's that's an example of where, you know, a, a call from us to the right team can can help when we see somebody who's in need. Yeah, and to jump on that, I think it's it's really interesting listening to also the resources that are available in the different counties. I'm kind of jealous of you guys. Um, Solano County is catching up in a lot of ways. In this, there is development of a mobile mental health crisis team. They have been piloting it, piloting it but it's somewhat limited hours. So I think that's, that's still something that's very much in the works. And then from the Kaiser end, y'all may have heard in the news, there are some things going on with our mental health departments right now. And, you know, I certainly can refer patients when they will get an appointment is kind of the next question mark. Um, and for a lot of our patients, they need to be seen now. So from the Kaiser end, that is something that we're working on there. Because I work with the residency program, we do have mental, a mental health provider who is part of our faculty. And so I'm kind of working on that angle to see if he might be able to get some time to actually come out with us. And so up to this point, what we've really relied on is the relationships that we have, kind of our, our back door relationships with the, the nonprofit teams and what resources they have. So we work with, a, I mentioned the substance abuse treatment organization. They do have a mental health provider on their team who has been very willing to go to see our patients when needed. Um, and she will go directly out to people. But again, that is, it's one to two people based on a personal relationship, essentially. Um, so that's definitely an area that we are, are needing to build out to make more robust. I, I just, when I'm listening to this conversation, it, it kind of reminds me of what I always think about with um, safety net medicine. And, and it's that the clinics often are similar to the patients in terms of complex, not always high functioning, but um, heart first. And mobile medicine, you know, these teams are all um, resourceful, scrappy, nimble, fitting into what's available and optimizing resources. And that's what our patients do too. Thank you all for sharing. I just wanted to highlight because I know. Previously, when I met with Ritter Center, you shared that you were also collaborating and some of your partnerships were with another health center, MCC. And so what you do is you share resources to provide dental services. And so I just wanted to you know, ask if you could share a little bit about that collaboration. So I think it's just really great. Um, a year ago, MCC had contacted us and had said, hey, we have the staff for a dental day, what about us utilizing your van and then providing dental screenings? Um, and so we said, that sounds like a great idea. So we handled, um, it was on our campus and we handled like the signups and the advertising um, and provided our van. And then MCC's dental staff came out and they did free dental screenings for the day and gave out little goodie bags. So it was actually really great because Dental is very difficult. I have been networking as much as I possibly can and looking into different programs. And unfortunately, even though I've created some great partnerships, nothing really expands on our options. 
So having MCC to help out for that was great. Um, and we hope to do that again because we did have a really good turnout. That's really great. And then thank you for sharing that. And then for Communicare, I know um, we've you've shared previously about the interns that you have within your program and the great QI projects that they're doing. I'm wondering if you could, and I believe you mentioned it was like medical students. And so I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about the work that your interns do um, within your program. I think we, we really prioritize our work also being a place for training. And so students and residents, uh, nurse practitioner students, medical students, family medicine residents are, are with us actually more often than not, usually just one at a time. I think that it can be very meaningful um, for people to, for trainees to see what's happening kind of on the ground. And then uh, as, as you mentioned, Arlene, there's a, a really uh, neat project that we're doing in concert with UC Davis for, uh, with a grant from from mobile care innovations or virtual care innovations for syphilis testing. And it's actually been staffed a lot by medical students who are on site uh, as we uh, move around the county offering um, STD testing, including syphilis testing, um, with a small financial incentive, which really I I think is motivating a lot more testing. We're seeing some pretty significant positive results for syphilis in particular, but also we're catching other positive results that, that are important yeah, Suzanne was saying the other day, well, the syphilis rate in Yola County is going up. <laughs> and in some ways, that's a good thing. Right? We're actually being able to ca- catch and treat infections. And the reason why this is important is that Yola County has been facing an increase in syphilis rates um, over the past several years. And so, we're, we're, you know, we really are trying to catch that and, and address it. I don't know, Suzanne, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that another part of the impetus for the effort is the, the particularly the congenital syphilis, which can have devastating effects um, on the child when it's born. It's, it's been very successful. I think leveraging off of learners um, to expand services is helpful. Um, we also have an addiction medicine fellow who's going to start coming out with our team and be embedded for the year. Uh, one of the challenges when you are using learners is just making sure that they're they're safe, they're well-oriented to the street, um, and that it's not good if you can have a little bit of a regular appearance in the team instead of having a a new person every single time. So there's an opportunity to develop relationships. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at Dr. Fisher and thinking about the Kaiser Family Medicine Residency Program that's new in Sacramento, and actually we're partnering with that residency program and the the residents, uh, the family medicine residents in Sacramento are going to be coming out with us on a regular basis. And just as uh, Dr. Portnoy was saying, um, we're really requesting that they have some continuity with us, not just kind of a one and done shift, but people need to be out with us multiple times to start to really understand um, what it means to be out there. Yeah, just to jump on that, they're so important. Um, actually have our, a medical student who's been working with me for a couple of years uh, is sitting with me on the podcast and she essentially is helping me to pilot what a program administrator position will be for the Care Without Walls pilot because um, we don't have the funding dedicated to hire one right now. So she's using a clinical distinction elective through her um, program to, you know, she comes out with me every week um, and she's been working with us in the nonprofit space too. Um, and then, yeah, with the, the family medicine residency, since I'm teaching faculty there, I get to uh, force the residents to come along with me, and they were incorporating a kind of street medicine lecture series into their um, kind of regular didactics, kind of with that idea that 
this is a specific skill set, things will be different than the clinic and you just have to be able to think about things differently. So hopefully, you know, incorporating that we've, we've created this for uh, Toro medical students as well. And so we work a lot with the, the medical students from Toro. And so they've been working with us. Um, and yeah, that continuity is really important. And I don't always get that, but certainly giving people an orientation beforehand and, and kind of trying to give them a little bit the lay of the land. So I think sometimes that first experience when, when somebody goes out and, and now you're trying to figure out how to take blood pressure while somebody's lying in their tent, you know, is, is always a new thing for, for students. But I think it's so important. I feel like a lot of this is I've also been trying to create the experiences that I wish I had had as a medical student or resident. And cause I think it just, it makes, it makes for a different clinician. And I feel like a lot of people going into healthcare fields, this is the type of work they say they want to be doing. And so, you know, giving them opportunities sooner to actually get out and go do it, I'm hoping will kind of continue the trickle effect that this kind of work is like continued to be pushed as people are getting out and demanding to actually have careers that look the way that they, they said their passions led them. Yeah, that's a really great perspective. Just thinking about all of the incredible work that you were all doing, and I just um, wanted to know if you could share some strategies or some um, ways to identify new funding that you've encountered or some of like how you're able to sustain your programs through through funding. Because I imagine you know, with all of the partnerships that you all have, your funding is coming from multiple sources. and thinking about like those health centers that are listening on the line that may be thinking about starting a street medicine program, how um, you would kind of, you know, if you could give them advice or just kind of share a piece of information about funding um, and how to approach that to start a their own street medicine or mobile medicine program? So um, initially, Ritter started off with a pilot program last year um, that was funded by a grant given by the county. We ran off of that all the way up until June of 2022. Um, And during that time, we worked to get it added to our scope of practice um, so that once the grant was over, we were able to transition into billing for services, basically. So now we are HRSA accredited um, with our street ban, um, and it's running on its own, basically, based off of fee-for-service. We did learn along the first year with the pilot program, like what worked with the program, what did it, and it was really great to have the county's guidance during that time. As uh, a few of us have touched on, like just kind of continuity of care and making ourselves available and having the people that are out seeing us, um, our patients every week, the continuance of us showing our faces and them knowing that we are going to be there um, is huge. Um, And we did suffer with that a little bit in the beginning, um, but we were able to work out all of those kinks. I think now it's just really working on getting our main location down um, that we're seeing so that we can make sure that um, the news spreads a little bit better and just kind of getting some marketing out there and spreading the word like this is where we're going to be. If you need us, we're here. Um, I'm trying to make sure that my Contact information is out there and readily available on all of the flyers and uh, postings. So that way, you know, if there is even an emergent situation, we do have capability to do that. And then we're also looking into a few new grants that are coming up. 
hopefully to apply to to expanding um, our street medicine to not just be medical, but to also be mental health. Um, and if we're able to get all of those things together and apply, the goal is to kind of add um, street med days with uh, just the primary care and then also have mental health and substance abuse days uh, where we'll have another provider for that. So that's kind of where where our travels over the past year and a half that we've been running. Great. Thank you, Rochelle. I guess, first of all, I'll just say that a lot of street medicine across the country is really done on a volunteer basis. And so to have funding to do this work is really quite a privilege. And I don't think that, you know, for our team, we don't take that for granted at all. Our Suzanne can say a lot more about the particulars of the funding, but the county and Sutter and Dignity all collaborating to provide the grant, the two-year grant that we're working off of now is, of course, huge. Um, the county prioritizing this work makes a big difference. And then we are part of a much larger healthcare organization, Communicare, which also has made a huge investment in this. So, you know, I, I have the, the sense that as, even if as funding kind of ebbs and flows as it does, um, that Communicare's commitment to this will continue. And I think that's also really important. When I uh, was asked if I might be interested in spending part of my time on this, I was like, are you kidding me? Like I could get paid to do the, some of this work that is like the most precious work I can imagine doing. Amazing. Yeah. And it really, it makes the work sustainable. Thank you, Dr. Kim. And I just want to turn it out to our audience and see if anyone has any questions. Um, hi, my name is um, Dr. Saima Fredos, and I'm Chief Medical Officer with Ritter Center, and I really appreciate my team here. So first, I want to say what Dr. Fisher had said about street medicine and the need for lecture series. I, I think that's really uh, something really great, and we should spread this message more across the healthcare centers, like that this is like it's a kind of a speciality on its own. I think that this is how it should be treated in the future. So my question is um, to Dr. Fisher and Dr. Ayn, Dr. Kim, if they have been thinking about any collaborative effort in, in terms of research or, or, you know, publishing something, we would love to be a part of that, if there's anything like that. Wonderful question. Who wants to take this one? I mean, I'm always down for collaboration. We uh, here at Kaiser actually have, or at Napasana, we have a public health internship. Um, and so I've had the privilege of having a public health intern assigned to this project since we started. And so she has been helping with the kind of analysis of our project in association with kind of the Department of Research within Kaiser. So um, definitely looking within that um, for the coursework. Actually, the, I have a partner in this work, in our nonprofit work, who has also been we actually did publish a paper on the work that we did in Project Room Key with the nurse practitioner and medical students. We're planning on writing something up. Um, actually, my medical student here is working on this as well, planning on writing something up on our kind of first round of the street medicine elective course that we provided that was actually multidisciplinary. So we had medical students and PA students and NP students all part of this course. So we are planning on writing that up, uh, but absolutely, I would, would love to kind of put this together and get more awareness for the importance of the work and, you know, like I said, kind of the unique skill set and the importance of kind of promoting that. Anyway, I would love to do that in the future. I, there are so many 
research questions, the potential feels almost limitless. And I think we're, yeah, I mean, Dr. Port and I and I are also always kind of dreaming and brainstorming about research projects, but it's like, where's the capacity to do it? So partnership really is going to have to be the way we make it happen. Um, the STD testing project I mentioned is a research project. So um, we are collecting data and that's hopefully going to lead to some meaningful publication, especially for the medical students that are part of that. It's going to be a great experience for them. You know, we also like West Sacramento, which is in Yolo County, uh, recently opened uh, a new long-term supportive housing project with, I don't know how many, it's like maybe 80 apartments or something. And as that was opening up and we saw many people who we had cared for and care about move from Project Broomkey into that housing, I was thinking like, oh, this would be an amazing research project to see like, what are the success factors for people as they go into that new setting? Again, need some help to make it happen. Thank you both. Um, we have another question uh, from the audience uh, from Ricardo who asks, are there any language barriers when reaching out to patients that are unhoused? I mean, we, we certainly have language barriers, or at least I do, um, because I'm a monolingual English speaker. We serve migrant centers. Most of the patients there uh, speak Spanish. Not, uh, I don't think we've come across a lot of dialects besides that. We have a, a team that's mostly bilingual, bicultural for those services. And then we you know, try to have a really diverse team. And so we have people... Um, with a lot of different experiences, but one of, some of those are uh, language skills. Yeah, I'd say we're kind of in the same boat as them. Like we, our person that comes out with us from the county, um, she speaks Spanish. So, you know, we get quite a few Spanish speaking patients. And um, unfortunately, my, my uh, high school Spanish isn't quite up to par with the level of the, of uh, being able to, converse in medical terms, um, but she plays a very valuable part in helping to help communicate between our team and the patient. Um, other than Spanish, we haven't really run into any any other dialects, at least on the mobile van in the clinic. Obviously, we have our translation services and we can tap on them for whatever need we have. So, Yeah, par Partnership Health Plan is the Medi-Cal payer has a, a phone interpreter service that we've used on occasion as well. But it raises a really interesting question of, we know that there are people in Yolo County who are monolingual Spanish speakers who are experiencing homelessness. And to be honest, we we see only a few of them. So where are the rest? Like, how do we, I, I don't think that the the network of providers, including us in Yolo County, is quite tapped into that. I think it's a blind spot. Do we have any other questions from the audience? All right. Well, if we don't have any other questions, I just want to say a very, very warm thank you to our panelists. Uh, this has been an incredible opportunity to learn from you and then to learn from each other, I'm sure. And I'm just so grateful that you all took time from your very busy schedules to spend this hour with uh, Redwood Community Health Coalition and with our live audience. And also thank you to our live audience for joining us today. Um, we just really appreciate everyone's time. Yes, thank you all. Uh, really appreciative of all of the work that you do and your mm -hmm. continued collaboration uh, with us and with each other. Um, looking forward to uh, future opportunities to collaborate as well. Um, and thank you to everyone for joining uh, the latest episode of the QI Chat Room podcast. Uh, we will be publishing uh, this podcast in the coming weeks on our website, 
and on Spotify and sharing on our social media and through our various channels and encourage uh, you all to do so as well. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining the QI Chat Room podcast. We appreciate you, our listeners, for joining us today. If you have suggested future topics, please email m-p-e-r-r-e-y at rchc.net. And please follow us, the Redwood Community Health Coalition, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye for now. Till next time on the QI Chat Room.